private markets have historically been the domain of discrete, wealthy individuals and institutions that aren't averse to long lockups with opaque funds managed by secret sauce-wielding GPs. But all that is changing as retail investors clamor for access to private markets in search of higher returns and superior portfolio diversification. That's according to a forthcoming white paper from SEI, Anzu Research, and Prequin, who surveyed just over 400 private fund managers and limited partners in Q4 2020. They found that 8 out of 10 private fund managers are receptive to the idea of allowing non-accredited investors to participate in private markets. So, if retail investors want into private markets, and private fund managers want to let them in, then what's the holdup? Is it really a good idea to allow non-accredited investors to invest in privately owned assets? And how will an influx of retail investors change private markets? I'm Chase Collum, a special projects editor with PEI Media in New York. And to answer these questions, I spoke with Ross Ellis, a vice president of thought leadership and marketing at SEI's investment manager services division, and Steve Unziker, founder and managing director at Anzu Research for this special episode of the Spotlight podcast sponsored by SEI. Let's start with the basics. Regulators have historically tried to keep retail investors out of the private markets for their own good. But even beyond that, private markets have been out of reach for most investors because of the high barriers to entry. Investment minimums were too high for them. Funds were locked up for years at a time. Fees are relatively high and so on. So it's an issue of a suitability, right? Or perceived suitability. That's Steve Unziger from Anzu. He says studies of private market investments have shown outperformance over public markets. And since we're in an era where the burden of retirement has moved from the company to the individual, people are looking around for ways to get alpha. Many see the private markets as an attractive option. Ross Ellis from SEI says that regulators are not deaf to the calls for increased access to private markets for non-accredited investors, and they are looking at ways to allow greater market participation. The FCA recently released a discussion paper seeking views on you know, three major areas where changes could be made, and that's what are high-risk investments? Let's define what they are. How do we segment this high-risk investment market? And then what are the responsibilities of the firms that are actually promoting these products? So at least they're looking at it in a logical fashion as to, I, I see the need for it, but you know we're not quite sure the structure is there yet. In a limited capacity, European retail investors have had access to private markets since 2015 through long-term investment funds, or LTIFs. And you know, it's an EU scheme to facilitate investment through alts in longer-term assets. So it's been there for a few years, and they're now reviewing, is it working, is it not working, and what changes should be made. Newberger Berman recently launched a private equity LTIF vehicle, which Ross points out has lower minimum commitments, lower fees, and greater diversification than a typical private equity offering. And now, he says, the FCA in the UK is looking to provide investors with a similar option. You know, the UK, in kind of a post-Brexit world, they're looking at ways to do the same thing. And so they've launched this new fund called the LTAF, the Long-Term Asset Fund. So it's the same sort of thing. But in, in the UK has encouraged private markets investments for a while. 
But really to date, if you kind of exclude the European um, long-term funds, it's really just been a small amount of DC schemes that can really do it. And th- those schemes that can invest in private markets are really the ones that have the scale, the resources, the capability to invest. It's really not open to all the DC schemes out there. In the U.S., the SEC has long allowed non-accredited investors to access private markets, but limitations have made the inclusion of the investors into private funds relatively unattractive for managers. To address this, Steve says two pivotal events took place over the past year. Um, One was the SEC last year in August changing its definition of accredited investor. So that has an obvious impact on this market. The update improved the definition to identify institutional and individual investors um, that have the knowledge and expertise uh, to participate in private capital markets, not just based on income. So it's based on knowledge and expertise, which is an interesting, interesting transition. And just because you're wealthy, you know, obviously it doesn't mean you have the sophistication or knowledge to make an informed investment decision. So it seems like a pretty reasonable decision on their part. These amendments became effective in December, and they include the creation of professional certifications, designations, and credentials for knowledgeable employees, among other provisions. And then separately, you had the Department of Labor a year ago, roughly, giving its blessing to retirement plan administrators to include private equity as part of their D.C. mix. So, you know, that's something that people have been angling for for a long time, waiting for. So the first regular people, so to speak, who will have access to these types of investments are likely to be people who are part of a customized DC program at at a large corporation. And as these types of companies move away from DB plans and the like, they're looking to give their workers the best options possible while also avoiding any potential pitfalls in terms of offering unsuitable options. Fund managers are already building the vehicles that are serving as the welcome wagons, ushering U.S.-based defined contribution plan holders to invest in the private markets. Partners Group and Pantheon both have products that are structured as investment trusts, so plan sponsors can use them to build private equity exposure into their programs. And these would be added into target date funds as investment sleeves, Steve says. Direct investments aren't likely to be available in the near term. They're, they're going to be included you know, as a target date fund or other similar structure like that. But they will be available to retirees of all stripes. There's still work to be done on the regulatory front, particularly around fees. But Ross says that work is underway. Certainly in in Europe, DC schemes are constrained by a maximum fee of 75 basis points. So if you were to invest in a typical private equity fund at 2 and 20 or, you know, one and a half and 15, that's still much higher than the 75 basis points cap. You know, what we're, we're seeing is as the DC market consolidates, as the schemes grow in size and buying power, you know, we're seeing improvements in platform offerings. We're looking at managers offering, you know, innovative fee arrangements. And at some point, we think there'd be a lot more direct investment. Another area that regulators may need to catch up on is whether or not liquidity risk is a real-world problem that retail investors need to worry about should they enter the private markets. Recently, there's a paper by ESMA in Europe talking about performance and costs of, you know, EU retail products. And what, what's interesting is that they called out liquidity as the most prominent risk in the fund industry. That was a big deal to them. They're saying, look, on the one hand, clients can redeem shares whenever they want according to the contractual redemption rights, right? 
On the other hand, there's the ability of the fund itself to actually meet the redemption request without causing market impact and safeguarding the fund investment objectives, things like that. So you've got redemption rights on one hand and liquidity mismatches on the other. And for a retail investor who may not have the same amount of information and flexibility in professional investors, that's an issue. But what was interesting, even though ESMA called it out, when they dug into the stats, even when they looked at an AFE, an alternate investment fund, that had 100% participation of retail clients, they found no significant sign of liquidity mismatch. So what's interesting is that the regulators calling out liquidity as a risk, but then they go, oh, by the way, we've seen no, no signs of it actually happening. So it's technically risk, but not in reality. And so I think that that's what regulators are struggling with, is that yeah, intellectually it makes sense that there is a risk, but it hasn't really happened yet. So how do we protect it from happening when it actually hasn't happened? All right. So retail investors want into the private markets and regulators are starting to find ways to open the hatch on both sides of the Atlantic for greater retail participation in private markets. But what's the upside for fund managers? Why do they want to allow retail, non-accredited individuals to invest in their products? Won't catering to these investors be a lot more challenging from a disclosure and transparency standpoint? What's the motivation for fund managers to pursue investors who will demand so much more of them and pay so much less when it comes to fees? I think it's inevitable for fees to be affected negatively, but the volume, you know, it's a question of how much the volume makes up for it. You know, the simple math that we do in the paper is that even 10% of the 401k market would mean almost $700 billion of new assets. So that's a pretty significant market opportunity. Yeah. And for managers, it also diversifies their revenue base. It diversifies their client base. It's one more way to kind of get some sticky money. So you now have a much more diversified you know, revenue stream. When one market falters, the other one may not. And it actually stabilizes your revenue. So you know, it's a good diversification case for a manager. And all they have to do is just really ensure that they're not cannibalizing higher revenue products with the lower. Right now, there's massive investor interest. And it's up to the GPs to come up with solutions that will satisfy those needs. One area GPs do seem to be preparing to receive the potential onslaught of retail investors is in the private secondaries market. In their forthcoming white paper, SEI, Anzu, and Prequin found that interest in the secondaries market has grown significantly over the past five years. And the secondaries market is likely to be the arena where most of the retail action will take place in the coming years. One of the big changes that we saw since we did this four or five years ago was the interest in secondaries and the intention of being active in the secondaries market. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody who's been paying attention, but this year, half of everybody who participated in the survey said they're going to either buy or sell secondaries in 2021. So that, that's a huge jump from five years ago when we asked the same question. It's hard to imagine any significant involvement of retail investors without it being sort of in tandem with the growth of the secondaries market, right? The two are gonna form a positive feedback loop. You know, the secondaries market is, I expect is going to grow on its own anyway, but as we see retail money trickle in and then that trickle turn to a flood, eventually that's going to really, I think, force the secondaries market to mature. You know, and all the groundwork is being laid right now. You have more intermediation and platforms and exchanges growing up in that market. And I think this is just really the beginning. And before long, you'll see 
something that, you know, ironically enough, is going to resemble the public markets, right? <laughs> You're going to have, you know, liquid private markets that look like the public markets in many respects, and the retail investors will be right there taking part. Fund managers are clearly keen to capitalize on this growth. There's been something of like a FOMO rush on the secondaries market in this past year, as several household names in private equity have stepped in. In the last year, 18 months, you know, big entrants have really come in there and they've made up for a long-standing shortfall in dedicated dry powder. You've got Collar Capital, you've got Aries, you've got Pantheon, KKR's looking at it. So a lot of the big players are looking at it as an opportunity to expand their base. And you know, it's like the network effect. The more people do it, the more interest there is, begets more interest. And it's just going to make it more sophisticated, more evolved, and more open to non-accredited investors. Another set of vehicles that may become more relevant in the coming years as retail investors make their way into private markets are liquid alts. Private fund managers have historically been resistant to the idea of taking too much inspiration from the public markets when it comes to structuring liquid alternatives. But Steve and Ross say attitudes may be changing. There is quite a lot less resistance to the idea of packaging um, private market investments in more traditionally retail forms like mutual funds and ETFs. So I think that's a safe bet to think that we'll be seeing more of that in the near future. Um, not everybody's on board, mind you, but there are you know more GPs, I would say, are open to the idea. So what is the significance of all this? What does it mean for private fund managers and other private market participants that retail investors are taking so much interest in the private markets? As Impressive as the growth of private markets has been, PEN, private credit, over the past few years, it's really nothing compared to what we're going to see going forward. And it's going to be turbocharged, for lack of a better word, by a lot of these themes that we're talking about. Will it be the same animal that we're used to? Yeah, I mean, yes, at its core, of course. You know, we're still talking about interest in private companies, but how it all happens is going to be different. And it's interesting because one of the titles of one of the, for the chapters in our paper is uh, same, same, but different. And that's exactly right. It's, yeah, it is, it is the same thing, but it's not going to look the same. And, you know, when we talk about our, our private markets becoming less and less private, well, it, it's not really about that. It's about, you know, who has access to private and public. And, you know, as we talked about, the gates of secrecy are being lifted. We're having more transparency. And it's less about who you met at a cocktail party and what club you belong to. And it's more about, is this asset class and fund structure appropriate for me? It's not just private markets opening up the public. It's people looking at kind of equities in the broader sense, holistically, and saying, what are the benefits I can get out of these investments? What are the attributes? I just have an equity bucket. And it can be public, it can be private, it can be hybrid, but it's no longer these two separate buckets in managed by different people in different buildings. It's, I now can make a more informed choice because the technology's there, the transparency's there, and I can now do what's best for me on a much more customized basis. So that democratization is exploding even more. You're knocking down some of these barriers that were just kind of put there, and some might say just because of fees. Thank you to Ross Ellis and Steve Unziker for taking the time out to speak for this episode. 
Our conversation today was really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the white paper produced by SEI and Anzu Research in partnership with Prequin. The paper titled Private Market Liquidity, Illogical or Inspired, is coming soon, so make sure to keep an eye out for an announcement about that from Anzu and SEI. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. This has been Chase Collum with PEI Media. Thanks for listening.